0: so let's go to the lord in prayer again um as uh, before we open uh, god's word father god again we thank you for this time we thank you for a chance to join together to open your word um, to see what you have for us uh, this evening, God. We ask that you would work in each of our hearts in whatever way you see fit, God. If you are, uh, if, if if we are in need of conviction, uh, that you would convict us. If we are in need of encouragement, that you encourage. If we are uh, in need of uh, comfort or a word of wisdom or an insight into your character, um, and a word of peace, uh, whatever it is, uh, God, we ask that you would work uh, through your spirit in our hearts. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come to it and see a clear picture of who you are, who we are, what you have done uh, to to save us, um, and how we are called to live our lives um, because we belong to Jesus. Uh, God, we thank you for the message of the gospel. We thank you for the churches of, of our community that that... Uh, each Sunday and all throughout the week, um, share that message with the world. God, we ask that you would bless each of those congregations, particularly in this advent and Christmas season. God that you would use the um, the, the, the normal flow of of people coming into town of family visiting. Uh, of people feeling a a a draw to to go to church services or go to special concerts or go to special choir performances, God, possibly not because they are um, just because it's tradition or just because it's it's something that they would do during during this season, and yet, God, we ask that you would speak through. Um, those times and opportunities that you would uh, clearly uh, have the gospel presented um, and that their hearts would hear and receive uh, and be changed. God, that's what we ask for our entire community, and our entire world. We ask for um, your spirit um, to stir up revival among us um, that our hearts would be changed. That it would begin with your people and um, that we, uh, those of us who know Jesus Christ would be uh, the the spark uh the candle of our faith, um, God would be um, blown into a flame. Uh, that you would stir us up, uh, that you would affect us, um, so that we are are awake uh, and attentive and passionate uh, towards the things that you have called us to. God help us to do that. Um, use this passage tonight uh, to prepare our hearts for um, things that that could be in the future for all of us. Uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so so you might have noticed, probably already. My wife certainly noticed um, that our call to worship passage was not something that was. It didn't quite line up with the children's program tonight, right? It was it was a passage that was a little um, uh, heavier, um, talking about God's judgment, talking about um, issues like that, and 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 this is the reason why that happened is because the passage that we're in in Luke tonight. Um, is a passage that, that lends itself more to that, uh, topic. And, and you might say, well, Ash, why are we talking about that during this time, this season? Well, the first reason we are is because we're just working our way through the gospel of Luke. And so, um, we are going to be in Luke chapter 21 tonight. I think they're in your bulletin. There's a little typo. It says 20 and 21 or something, but, but we are in, in chapter 21. Looking at verses five through twenty four. And while it seems a little bit weird, especially with the with the children um, uh, sharing with us tonight, uh, but we talk about it every single year, about how the Advent season is, is sort of dual directional or dual-dimensional. So it one, Advent looks backwards, it looks back to the coming of Jesus Christ as a child in Bethlehem, but it also looks forward. Advent is about the coming of Jesus, and it looks to his second coming as well, when he is going to come in victory, um, and and that includes the events that surround the end times when we look to the scriptures. And so I think that it was providential um, that we came to this passage in the middle of Advent, right? We could have been off by a couple of weeks, and it could have ended up being before or after, and yet we find ourselves in Advent um, this week talking about uh, events that are connected to the end times next week, specifically talking about the second coming of Jesus. And so I think those things fit perfectly and providentially into, to these, um, to what we're talking about in the season of the church that we're in. So there is a collection of passages, uh, in, in the synoptic gospel. So that is Matthew, Mark and Luke that have basically the same story and content. So we we have this passage here, uh, and then we'll sort of bounce a little bit into Matthew and Mark. Um but here's the deal: all three of them are sort of notoriously difficult to interpret. And their focus, the focus of those passages is difficult to pinpoint. Um, the gospel accounts, when you look at these three stories, the three, these three sections, they're obviously the same Passage, right? They're the same teaching. They're the same occurrence. Um, and yet they all feel like they've got a little different focus to them. Uh, and that makes it kind of complicated again to, to understand them. And, and here's the big question that we have to come to when we, when we come to this passage is what event is Jesus referring to as he talks? Is he talking about the fall of Jerusalem in the year 70 AD or what we now know is the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD? Or is he talking about a future judgment, an end times kind of judgment that is coming? That's the question that we have to ask. And, and the problem is, is with all three of those sections, the one here in Luke and the ones in Matthew and Mark, it feels like that maybe he's talking about both. And the reason it feels that way is basically because he is. OK, and we're going to see that in this text. So what we're going to do is instead of just reading our whole text up front, since it's, it's pretty long, verses five through twenty four. We're going to kind of read it in chunks as we go through and sort of see what happens. OK, but we begin this passage with this specific idea. Jesus starts talking about the end of the temple. He's, talk, he's talking about the end of the temple, starting in verse five, it says, while some of them were speaking of the temple. So, again, remember, this is the last week of Jesus earthly life. Um, he is there in Jerusalem. Um, we are leading up to the cross and to the resurrection. And so they're there in the city of Jerusalem. And it says, while they were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings. He, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left there one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher. When will these things be, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? all right so what we know from history is that when this passage was was spoken, um, the temple was in the middle of an eighty year building project, so it was being renovated and and fixed up and added to in different ways from about twenty BC all the way up through around sixty a d and so here we are at somewhere around thirty. 33 AD, and so they're kind of in the middle of this expansive building project to, to, to renovate and and make the temple as glorious as it had been in, in previous generations. The, the project would end around the year 60 AD, and that would be about 10 years before the Romans would invade, uh, conquer Jerusalem, and destroy the city and the temple. And so in verse 6, Jesus prophesies a complete destruction of this temple that's there. The siege that would come, and we've talked about this a couple of weeks ago because we've hit this theme a few times throughout Luke. Jesus continues to remind the disciples of what's coming. And so we talked about a few weeks ago, maybe it's been a few months ago now, that this siege, Rome would come. They would build a second wall around the entire city, essentially trapping the entire city inside uh, there would be starvation. There was cannibalism. Uh, it would lead to over a million deaths of people who had fled into the city to try to run from the Romans. The, the tradition tells us that Jesus' um, prediction comes true. History tells us that Jesus' prediction comes true. In fact, the temple is completely destroyed, brick by brick. All right. Um, what we are told, again, from tradition is that the Romans believed that all that gold that was inlaid and lined and all over the temple, that as the temple burned, that gold melted and started to go into the cracks of the temple. And so the Roman soldiers were like, man, if we could tear this thing apart, we could be, we'd be rich. There's all this stuff down in here. So piece by piece, they pulled the temple apart. Um, and that has been the case till this day. The temple still is torn down. Uh, all that's left is those foundation walls that you can still go to the wailing wall that you can still go to in in Israel but but the temple has not existed for 2000 years this glorious structure that functioned as the center of Judaism would cease to exist and so in verse 7 the disciples ask teacher when will these things be and what will be the sign of these things that are about to take place. Well, what things? Well, the destruction of the temple, okay? That's a that's a timestamp for us, all right? That shows us that the, the specific context that we're looking at in Luke, he's talking about the destruction of the temple. He's not talking about other things, okay? At least specifically. He's talking about the destruction of the temple that we know is going to happen in 70 AD. Okay. Um, he's not primarily talking about the end times in this passage. Now, again, a lot of people come to this passage and they assume that he must be talking about the end times. And then he starts talking about all these, like, if this is only applied to the end times and certain things have to happen, we've got to rebuild a temple and we got to do all these things. And it's got to, you know, and, and we get into this problem. But it seems to be the case that that's not what's going on here. In Mark's account of this and in Matthew's account, the end times seem more up front in the story. All right. So it seems to be the case that he's, he's probably talking about the events of the end times there in the foreground, the events of 70 AD or maybe in the background. But for Luke, it's exactly the opposite. So, for example, in Matthew, the question that they ask in Matthew is this. Tell us when these things will be and what will be the signs of your coming at the end of the age. Okay, that's a lot more explicit to say they are asking questions about his the end times. All right, but that's not what we see in Luke's account. Now, here's what I'm. Some of y'all are going, well, which one's true, Ash? Which one happened? Well, they both happened. Okay, the the key is is that each gospel writer is drawing parts of the conversation out to make a point, to zoom in on a certain principle. It's not that one of these is right, one of these is wrong. It's that all of this is there. All of this was there when Jesus actually spoke this word, these words. And the gospel writers are saying, yeah, but I want to focus on this part. I want to zoom in on this part as, as when I'm writing the, the gospels, okay? And, and more importantly, the Holy Spirit wanted to zoom in on those parts. And so that's what we see here. Luke is focusing primarily on 70 AD. And so Jesus speaks of the destruction of the temple. And then the disciples specifically ask, teacher, when will these things happen? When will the temple be destroyed like you're saying? And so the deal is, is that Jesus and the reason why it seems like he's talking about both a concept that we've talked about many times is that Jesus is speaking in a what we call a typological way. When he's talking about the destruction of the temple, the judgment that is coming to Israel in 70 A.D., that is a type. It is a foreshadowing. It is symbolic of the ultimate judgment that is going to come. All right. And so as much as Jesus is talking about that 70 AD event, he is also talking about that future event, but not but it's in the background of what he's talking about. In a very similar way, we could look back to the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians in in 597 and say when the Babylonians came in and destroyed the city and destroyed the temple, there were ways in which that prefigured the ultimate judgment that was going to come. All right. Because all of those judgments Typologically are connected to each other, right? They are foreshadowing the final judgment that is going to come. And so again, Luke's focus on 70 AD, but the context still bears truth for the eventual and final judgment. And so while this foreground judgment of 70 AD is there, Luke makes a couple of points about end times and, and, and thinking about apocalyptic kind of subjects. He starts in verse eight. He says, there's gonna be these signs and markers, or at least that's what the disciples want. They wanna know what the signs and markers of the coming are. And so Jesus says this. He says, see that you are not led astray. <laughs> For many will come in my name saying, I am he. And this, the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified for these things must first take place but the end will not be at once then he said to them nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom there will be great earthquakes and various places of famine and pestilence and there will be terrors and great signs from the heavens all right so here's a here's a thing when people start talking about the end time doesn't matter what culture you were in. If anybody, any culture anywhere is talking about the end of the world, there are certain apocalyptic kind of scenarios and elements that always seem to pop up in people's discussions. And you know what we find? When we look at this list that Jesus has just given us, that's pretty much the list. It's the same things that people talk about in every culture. For example, verse 8 messianic or prophetic figures arise, right? To announce the coming and the end and and whatever, right? That happens all over the place. Cult leaders show up. How many stories do we know of the last 50 years of some cult leader showing up and saying, it's the end of the world, you know, come drink this Kool-Aid and hop on this comet and we'll get out of here, right? Those kind of things happen all the time. Fortune tellers, right? People who say that they know what the future holds because they have some sort of Specific insight from God or from whatever, okay? That's always a piece of end times apocalyptic kind of scare or whatever, right? What else? Wars. Man, every time a war pops up, particularly in the Middle East, in Russia, in China, somewhere else, what do people start saying? Man, it's the end. These are the events of the end times. Conflicts are Large-scale wars, all these things. That's always how it is. Natural disasters, You start seeing weird weather patterns, a giant hurricane comes through, an earthquake happens somewhere, a tsunami. What do people say? It seems like it's the end of the world out there. Like things are getting bad. It's, it's, It's. I don't know what's going on, but something's happening. Verse 11, astronomical events. Every time there's a blood moon, man, every time there's a comet that comes by, okay? Every time an eclipse happens, man, people start getting nervous, there was a thing a couple years ago where there were like these four blood moons in a row or something like that and then there was this eclipse and and everybody was was upset or worried about this eclipse and and I posted this little thing and I was just trying to be a jerk and I posted this thing online where I was like it's only an eclipse if you live in North America. If you lived anywhere else in the world there was no eclipse and there were about 200 other eclipses that happened this year that just didn't happen where we could see. So man I'm not saying that like God isn't going. I'm just saying these things happen a lot. OK, and here's the deal. I think that's what Jesus is saying in this passage. He's saying, you know what happens all the time? Wars. You know what happens all the time? Natural disasters. You know what happens all the time? Cult leaders. All right. You know what happens all the time? Cool stuff in the sky. Right. Comets and asteroids and, and, and eclipses and things like that. So notice this in that same passage where he's talking about these signs. He said he 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 brings out two things. He says, one, don't be led astray by these people that come saying these things. Don't be led astray by the people who show up and say, "I'm Jesus. Uh, I'm the second coming. Follow me." Don't be led astray by those people. And moreover, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be terrified. When these kind of things happen out there in the world. Well, why should we not be terrified? Because some of those things are kind of scary, right? When when it feels like we're on the verge of World War III, that feels kind of scary. Well, why should we not be scared? Matthew says this. Matthew says these things are just the beginning of the birth pains, all right? It's not the end yet. These are just things that are going to happen before the end times, and you should just know that. Mark makes it even more specific. These things must take place, but the end is not yet, okay? So, again, Jesus is saying none of these things are really signs in and of themselves. That's not to say that there won't be some of these things that happen before the actual end times happen. But, obviously, every time they do happen, that doesn't mean it's the end times, okay? I, have you ever seen the, like, the number that the, when, when how many years the United States has been in existence where we weren't at war with somebody? I can't remember what it is, but it's like 40. Okay. Like in our whole history, we've been at war all of our, all of our existence almost. And then somebody has done it on a world scale and said, has the world ever been at peace? And the answer is pretty much no. Like there has always been something going on somewhere. So Jesus says, yeah, there will be crazy things going on before the end times, but there's crazy things going on all the time. All right. So that's the first reason why we don't need to be afraid is this is the way a broken world looks. But here's the other and the main reason why we don't need to be afraid is because Jesus is saying, I have told you these things are coming. And so you shouldn't see these things as evidence of the fact that God is absent or doesn't care or he's disappeared or something like that. When a war happens, instead of going, man, does God just... He, does he not care? Is he just let the world go out of the control? No, the answer is Jesus told us all these things would happen. Right? Everything is going according to plan. Actually, this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. And so, as we see these crazy things happen, it's not a picture of God abandoning us. It's not a fact that He's disinterested in us. It's certainly not the case that He is non-existent or something like that. It's basically saying. This is exactly the kind of world that I told you you were going to live in. And these are the exact kind of things that will happen, and everything is working according to plan. So, again, maybe that's disconcerting to you. You go, well, I don't like that that's the plan. I wish things were peaceful and nice and there weren't weird blood moons or whatever, right? I wish it wasn't that way. But Jesus says it is that way. That's what a fallen world looks like, and it's going to look like that until the end. Now, he, he continues on and he goes into another characteristic. Something that is coming and will come for for the disciples and for the followers of Christ. And it's something that we would assume would make us feel a sense of abandonment by God. He says something's going to happen and you would probably expect that when it did happen, you would feel like God had abandoned. you. But Jesus is going to tell us That it is in that moment that God is most keenly apparent that he is particularly present at that moment. And the thing that's going to happen is persecution. Persecution is coming, Jesus says. Verse 12. He says, but but before all this, another timestamp, right? But before all this, before the things I just talked about, before the destruction of the temple, he says... They will lay hands, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand on how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my namesake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. So we say it over and over again. We've talked about this many times as we've gone through the scriptures. But it will probably not sink in for us until we experience it in, in, in reality. And that is the fact that persecution is coming. Okay, It is what we should expect as followers of Jesus Christ at all times, in all places. If we happen to live in a time and a place where we don't have to be persecuted, then praise God. We thank him for the grace and the peace that, that we have been allowed to live in. But it's not what we should expect. That is not the normal situation for a believer. So maybe all of us here will avoid the extreme of persecution in our lives, if we're lucky, right? But if you were alive at the end times, or if you had been alive at the times leading up to the fall of uh, Jerusalem, you would have experienced persecution. And again, it, it sounds alarmist, and we certainly live in an alarmist kind of age. We live in an age where we're just, man, we're worried about everything and make a big deal about everything. But as believers, we have to always be prepared to experience persecution for our faith. And I'll be honest, that is a worry that lingers in my mind when it comes to the church today. Because I don't think the American church is in any way ready for any kind of persecution, right? Right. I I am afraid that if a real persecution came to this country, and again, that's not to say that there aren't already kinds of persecution going on in in individual lives and even at a larger scale. But if a if a large scale kind of persecution came, I'm not sure if we would deal with it very well because we've had it good for a really long time. We've had it. We've had a pretty easy run in in the the Western Church, certainly the American Church. And so Jesus confronts our typical feelings and our typical responses that we might have when it comes to persecution on a number of levels. So again, we might ask the question again, is this, is this persecution he's talking about, 70 AD persecution? Or this is end times persecution? Which one is it? Well, it's certainly focused on the before all this line, right? So that means it's definitely focused on 70 AD. But the reality is, is that typologically, it's going to be like that in the end times. And moreover, the things that he's going to tell us right here are principles that will be true then as much as they are now, as much as they were back in 70 AD. All right. So whether you live in Israel uh, in you know, 70 AD, you live in America right now, you live in North Korea right now, or you live. We make it to the point where where Christ comes in the world. um, All things are consummated. These principles stay true regardless, okay? So what do we see Jesus say? One, is that we need to change our attitude when it comes to persecution because persecution is an opportunity to bear witness. All persecution is an opportunity to bear witness. That doesn't mean that we look forward to persecution. It certainly doesn't mean that we try to advance our own persecution in some ways. The early church knew this lesson. As people were martyred in the early church and those martyrs began to become famous and their example of faith and, and sacrifice was uplifted, people started going, you know what, I want to die for Jesus too. And they would go out just like looking for trouble, right? They would go out trying to get arrested, trying to get um, martyred. And the early church pretty quickly went, that's not what Jesus is telling us to do, okay? We're supposed to be prepared for martyrdom and persecution, but we're not supposed to go looking for it, you could say. But if it comes, Jesus is saying, you need to start thinking of it in a different context. This will be an opportunity to bear witness to Jesus Christ. Even in your daily lives now, and we can imagine any kind of scenario. We can imagine a kid getting made fun of at his high school. We can imagine an employer, um, um, not caring about your, your faith and, and putting things into your life that you have to say, Hey, I'm sorry. I can't do that because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. We think of those things and we go, look, let's undo persecutions happening in, in, in this situation. I think Jesus is saying, no, you know what you're getting to do? You're getting to be a witness to Jesus Christ. When these things come into your life, you're getting to say, I'm not going to stand for that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say that's okay. I'm going to say that what Jesus has called me to is more important than that, and I'm going to live in a different way. And in doing so, you were doing the, the coolest thing that you could ever do, the greatest thing that you could ever do. You are bearing witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. What do the disciples say when they're arrested and beaten for their faith? What do they say? They come home saying, yeah, we got to suffer for Jesus Christ, right? Now again, is that because they were weirdo masochists, right? And they just enjoyed that? No, it's because they recognized We had the opportunity to speak truth to power in these situations, maybe even on a large scale, and not everybody has that same opportunity. We were given a specific opportunity to do that in our persecution. So that's the first thing. Um, Two, God will empower you in that moment. In the moment of the persecution, God will not be distant from you. He will be very present with you. That's what we're afraid of, I think. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid that in a moment of persecution, I would fail, that I would cave, that I would collapse. Okay. That's the, that's the huge fear, right? I don't want persecution to come because I'm scared that in a moment that I would, I would quit, I would renounce or something like that. And yet God promises, Jesus promises us that God will be particularly present in that moment. So I've shared the story over and over again in here about the Korean missionaries who went to Iran and were arrested. And at first, the Iranian government said, we're going to execute all of you. But finally, through diplomatic things, the government said, no, we're going to only kill one of you. We're going to let the rest go home. And so there was literally an argument among those Korean leaders who was going to be uh, martyred. Uh, but each one was saying it should be me. The pastor said, well, I'm the pastor. It should be me. I'm the one who will die. And somebody else said, no, 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 you're our shepherd. You need to go back with the flock. Let one of us do it. And there was this whole situation that arose. Finally, the pastor was executed. The Korean missionaries were sent back home. And the testimony that they gave was this. They said, God was so close to us in that Iranian prison. We could feel his presence so, it was so real to us. And now we're back in the safety of Korea, and it doesn't feel that way anymore. We can't get back there. And so these people are saying, we wish we were still in persecution at a level. We wish we were still in that Iranian prison because it was worth it, because God was so close to us in that moment. Jesus, I think, is saying the same thing. God's not going to be far away from you in persecution. He's going to be closer than he's ever been in persecution. <laughs> and it is a strange thing that Jesus would say, don't prepare for what you're going to say. Okay, That doesn't seem like Jesus Okay, We're supposed to know and grow and learn, right? We're supposed to have an answer at all times. In this one circumstance, Jesus says, and don't worry about it. Don't go trying to build up a good defense in your head for that day, because on that day, I'm going to be standing right there next to you, whispering into your ear what to say, essentially. And so God is going to be with us in those moments. Three, persecution can come from anywhere. Israelite going to turn on Israelite. Family is going to turn on family. The people that turn you over to the authorities, what does it say? Are your parents, are your brothers and sisters, are your mothers and fathers and children.
1: Uh,
0: something in the background of this passage, he's talking about persecution. He's talking about these issues, but there's a second theme here. What we are witnessing in these few short verses is the end of Israel, the end of Judaism. Functionally, it is the breakup of the people of Israel, the destruction of the holy city, the destruction of the temple. That's it. That's Judaism. All right. And in this one passage, Jesus says in a few short years, it's all going to be gone. You are going to be a broken and divided, scattered people. The holy city is going to be destroyed and the temple is going to be torn to the ground. So that's another theme that is in the background here. But Jesus is saying persecution will come from all kinds of places. We expect it to come from the world. But he says we need to be recognized that it will come from people who are closest to us sometimes. And what is that going to lead to? A fourth thing, some of you will be martyred. For some people, this will lead to death. Jesus will be close. That doesn't mean he is going to get you out of it. Again, a story that we've come back to over and over again when John the Baptist is sitting in that prison and, and he says, Jesus, are you, are you the one? Go tell the, the take messengers, go to Jesus and ask him, are, are you really the one or am I supposed to be waiting for someone else? The reason he's saying that is because he's like, I don't know why I'm rotting in this prison. If Jesus is the Messiah and the passage that Jesus quotes, <laughs> He he reads through the quote and he leaves one verse out. And that is the passage about setting the captives free. He leaves that passage out when he tells the disciples to go back to John. And I think the picture there is to say, Jesus says, I am the one who was sent. I am the Messiah. And there's not going to be freedom for you, John. You're going to die in prison because that's the way this is going to go. Jesus says the same thing here. There's going to be persecution. I'm going to be with you, but some of you are going to be killed. All of the disciples Our martyr, except for John, we
1: think. Jesus doesn't promise you life. But he does
0: promise you eternal life. That's a really key distinction. And that'll be really important one day when you are sick with some other disease, even if you never have to experience persecution. Jesus doesn't promise you life, but he does promise you eternal life. Five, ultimately, they can't do anything to you. What does he say? Not a hair on your head will perish. That's a weird thing to say right after he told you that some of you were going to get killed. What can he mean by that? That not a hair on your head will perish, although some of you will be martyred. Well, we know what it means. That at the end of the day, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That even if you were martyred, that there will be, that you will be welcomed into your eternal home. You will be seated with Christ. You will be in the bosom of Christ. That ultimately they can't hurt you, even if they take your life here. And finally, six, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Again, the wording is really important. You will not save your lives by endurance. That's not what it says. You might, but it doesn't say you will save your lives. It says you will gain your lives. We're reminded of what Jesus says earlier. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the promise that we have there at the end. So Jesus has given us these principles. He says persecution is coming. You should expect it. And if it comes, you should see it the way I've just talked about here, according to these, these concepts. And then Jesus closes out the passage, giving a little more full picture about this thing that is going to happen in 70 AD, verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, that's exactly what ended up happening. Then now that it's, then know that it's desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter in. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas for a woman who is pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. Start to see why we read that one psalm at the beginning and the ties it has here. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So there is a cool little story in history. And again, it's one of those stories that we can't know for sure is true, but it is recorded to us in two, two early church historians. One, let me say his name right, Epiphanius. And the other is Eusebius of Caesarea. And both record this tradition that the Christians who lived in Jerusalem around 70 AD, that they had heard this prophecy of Jesus, that they knew to watch for these signs that Jesus was talking about. And as the armies of Rome started to say, we're about fed up with this, this little backwoods province of, of Jerusalem, we're going to go do something about it. And as the army started to march in and began to surround the city of Jerusalem, the Christians said, we've heard about this. We're going to step out and go somewhere else. And so there is a historical event that both of these men record called the flight to Pella. Pella was this little city up in, in near the Galilean Sea. And the tradition is, is that Christians in, in droves, Seeing the signs that were coming while other people were running into Jerusalem for protection from the Romans, the Christians said, this is the last place that we want to be. And so they exited the city and went to a place called Pella. And because of that, many Christians were spared the the horrific things that happened at the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. So again, we don't, those two, those two writers are writing around the year, uh, I think around 400 or something. That's an event that obviously was supposed to have taken place 300 years. And you know, we don't know for sure, but man, it sounds exactly like, um, what Jesus warned and advised people to do. And so, so it it seems like it fits. Well, we come to the end of this passage. And like I said a minute ago, there's, there's something else going on behind all this. We see that this is going to be the end of Judaism. You say, that's not true. Ask Judaism still exists today, right? It's still a faith, you know, millions of people around the world subscribe to. But the reality is in a very real sense, they don't and they can't because Israel, the the, the Judaic religion can't function as we've just talked about for weeks and weeks. We've talked about the pilgrimage festivals to Jerusalem. It's a faith that can't function without a temple. The temple is necessary for Judaism. It can't function without Jerusalem being the the city that you can go to the temple at. Without Jerusalem, Judaism doesn't work right. All right? And without this unified people, Judaism is is a dispersed and, and broken up reality. Okay? That's what we have today. Um. You talk to, to, to people in the Jewish faith, and, and some of them have made concessions. And they've said, no, nah, well, we can't do all the things that the law told us to do. And so we've made these new procedures to try to make all this stuff work. But the Bible certainly doesn't give them any warrant to do those things. If there is going to be a Judaism, there has to be these elements. And, and Jesus is saying, all these things are going to be destroyed. They're going to be gone. But why? The important piece is because Jesus has come to fulfill, to supplant, to replace all of these things. That Jesus is the temple. That Jesus is Israel, right? He is the one who has come to fulfill and to um, bring to an end all of the old things um, and bring to fulfillment the new. And so, again, a theme that we see as we come um, in Advent uh, of the coming of Jesus and his fulfillment of prophecy uh, and, and bringing all things to fruition that the Bible has told us about. So what I want to do again, this is more this is kind of more of a teaching lesson. Right. Um, I'm not exactly sure where to go because you might say, well, Ash, that was a whole lot about persecution and I'm not being particularly persecuted right now. And so I hope what you'll do with that is you'll you'll lock it away. That you'll remember this, right? And understand that that we always have to be prepared. We're going to talk about that even more in the next few weeks. We have to be prepared. We have to always be on guard, always be watchful, always be wakeful. Because at any time, things could happen that we are unprepared for. Uh, a few years ago, I read uh, Eric Metaxas's book, On Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And one of it's it's a fascinating book. I encourage you to read it. There's a short version if you don't want to read the whole thing. But but one of the, the, the most striking parts of it was this is the people in Germany at the time of the rise of Nazi Germany. The people who were not part of the Nazi party looked at their world, looked at their society, looked at their government and went, how did this happen? How was it that five years ago we were just like living life like we had for 200 years and now five years later the entire world has changed. We have this madman leading us that we're in the middle of a world war that there is this genocide going on among us like how did we get from there to here because it doesn't ever feel like you could make that jump that quickly. We sitting here, you know, we're going, Ash, you're being an alarmist, man. We're not anywhere near any of these events. And I'm like, you're probably right. But that's what they thought in Germany, too. And In a very short amount of time, the whole world has changed. And it changed not just for the Jewish people in that nation, but particularly for Christians like Bonhoeffer. So we always have to have our hearts ready, prepared um, for any situation. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Again, I encourage you to go back through this passage. Go back through uh, the the other two passages in uh, Mark chapter thirteen and Matthew chapter twenty four, and and compare and 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 read those and see the connections. Next week, we'll continue and lead right into what he's talking about at the end of this with the second coming of Christ. And so, at that point, he is talking about the end times. He is talking about something beyond uh, the seventy AD event. But let's go to the Lord in prayer, ask him to work in our hearts, ask us not to be, the answer to this is not prepping, right? Okay. You're not supposed to build a bunker. That's not going to do it. Okay. What God is calling us to is to prepare our hearts to stand for Jesus Christ in any circumstance. All right. So
1: let's ask that he would help us to do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we, uh, we want
0: peace in our time. Uh, we want, uh, peace for our families, peace for our children. We want to, um, create a world that they could inherit, um, that would be a world of, of faith and of virtue and of kindness. Got a world that, that, um, exemplifies the character um, that you have called us to in your word, God we ask that you would do that we ask as we pray uh, most every week that you would bring revival God that in the midst of the the uh, not only the depravity but the degradation of our society, um, God that you would um, bless and <laughs> work in people's hearts, that you would convict of sin, that you would turn people to Jesus Christ, that there would be uh, something that we have not seen in in a century or more, a, a great uh, awakening, a great coming to Jesus Christ. Uh, God, not because we have gotten better at, at telling people about who your son is, but because your spirit is moving in a unique way uh, in this time. God, we pray for that. And yet we also understand, God, that God, we are not sovereign over history. We are not sovereign over uh, the course of human events and and the plan that you have for nations. God, empires have risen and fallen uh, in many places over the history of the world. God, we ask that you would prepare our hearts for any circumstance. If you give us peace, then, God, we ask that we would use that peace um, for goodness and blessing and justice uh, and service to our brothers and sisters in Christ and to our neighbors. And, God, if you allow persecution to come, God, we we ask for the same. We ask that you would help us to lead, lead lives of faithfulness and service and kindness and that in that persecution, we would be a witness to the goodness of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he has brought. Father, we thank you. Work these things in our hearts. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.
1: Please stand closing
0: see you tonight glad you were here glad you got to come and share as we celebrated with our little ones and um man i just love seeing that i'm reading a book right now and it's talking about the liturgy of life right and, and and we can teach and that's important and we do right and we can share and that's important and we do and then yet there's something there's another piece of just doing these things and being part of this stuff and having these traditions that that uh we as adults but certainly children look to that implant the the, the goodness and 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 the glory uh, and the truths of these things in their hearts and so you might look down here and say that's just a bunch of cute kids and some cute costumes okay but I think there's something more going on right there's something that is there are seeds being planted and set up in their hearts um, that do more than that so I'm glad we got to be a part of that tonight um, hope you have a great week um, come see us um, at uh, sign up for our lessons and carols service, uh, that's on the Wednesday night before Christmas. Also come and join us, um, if you're able on, on Christmas night. Uh, we would love for you to be a part of that too. Um, want to make one little special, uh, recognition and announcement. So our, our, our buddy Ben Hessick is here today. Um, so Ben, um, I got to be a part of earlier tonight. Hi. Is Eagle Scout induction ceremony. Um, so, uh, Ben has achieved the rank of Eagle Scout, uh, which is a pretty big deal. Um, something that, um, they were saying, uh, at the, at the service tonight that. Uh, only two percent of people who participate in Scouts ever uh, make it to Eagle Scout, so that's a pretty cool thing. So, just for you to know that, and kind of go over and give him a little bit of encouragement, say uh, you're proud of him. Um, I've gotten to hang out a lot with Ben in homeschool context, particularly, and then his family's uh, been coming to College Street. So, um, but congratulations, to we're proud of you. So, um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, there you go. That's a little musical company. I like that. Um, okay, well, here's this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.